Hello, hello everyone. This is Katie. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. Hey, Marcus. Hey, Katie. How are you? Good, how are you? Glad to have you here today to chat with me. Always. How's your break going? It's lovely. <laughs> this is the first time I've opened my computer in about a week and I'm loving it. Perfect. Yeah, I also have been taking a nice little rest, but gotta get back to it today. Absolutely. All right, so today we're gonna talk about fiber which if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I've thrown out some hints in other episodes that I love talking about fiber. (laughs) So we're dedicating all episode to it, but it's actually cooler than you might think. Even if you're not as nerdy as me, it still definitely has some benefits that you might not know about. Let's start out by just talking about what fiber is because I am consistently surprised Um, that people actually don't know where fiber is found and how to increase it in their diet in a healthful way. Um, So I think we should just kind of start out with a little overview of what fiber is. There's two types of fiber. So there's soluble fiber, which means it's soluble in water, and that means it's fermentable in your gut. So it doesn't get absorbed in your stomach, but it goes to your small intestine, and the bacteria can use it as like a food source. So that makes it a prebiotic. And then you have insoluble fiber that is not fermentable and that goes to your poop and like makes it solid so you can have regularity. So fiber is a carbohydrate, which is why I think some people are scared of it because people have a general fear fear of carbs, which is unnecessary. But fiber is a good carb because it is broken down more slowly and doesn't have the same kind of blood glucose effects as a more refined carbohydrate, because as Marcus said, it has all of the components of um, a grain. So it has the three components of the whole grain, and that helps it to be more resistant to being broken down. So fiber is found in whole grains, as well as vegetables and fruits. So if you are only eating meat, then you're not getting any fiber. So all animal products contain no fiber. You can only get fiber from plant products. And so it's really important to incorporate fiber into your diet. So the goal um, for fiber intake is usually around 30 grams per day, which to me is low. My my goal for myself is 50. Yeah, that's mine. Um, But the sad thing is that in general, 95% of Americans are not reaching the goal of 30 grams per day. The average intake of Fiber based on NHANES data is 16 grams per day, which is very low and promotes a lot of kind of dysbiosis in the gut and also constipation. Um, so just trying to incorporate more fiber into your diet can help to regulate your gut flora and then also help to promote regularity. Mm-hmm. And the low fiber intake is most likely due to the standard American diet being so processed and so refined. So things like white bread and people not eating enough whole fruits and vegetables, things like that are um, one of the big reasons that the average fiber intake is so low. Right. And as you process a food, you're going to reduce the amount of fiber that's in the food. So if you're thinking like a whole apple which is going to have the most fiber versus applesauce, you're going to remove some. And then if you juice it and you have apple juice, then you're left with no fiber. So that's why 
normally if you had a smoothie, it would be a little bit better for you than having a juice because some of those fibers still remain in the drink. So earlier too, you mentioned prebiotics. Do you want to define what a prebiotic is for those who only know about probiotics? Yeah. So probiotics are, when you think of yogurt or things that are fermented like that or prebiotic, I mean a probiotic supplement, it's like actual good bacteria that you ingest and breaks down everything. And prebiotics are like the food for those probiotics. And the like biggest source for them is fiber-rich foods, yep. mainly the insoluble fibers because... They make it all the way to the gut yeah. or to the colon, yeah, which is where all the bacteria live. Um, so common sources of insoluble fiber or good fiber for your microbiota would be like garlic, leeks, onions, anything that is more chewy. Um, mm-hmm. So sunchokes or Jerusalem artichokes are really yeah, Jerusalem high artichokes. In them, I read about that, but a lot of people don't really eat Jerusalem artichokes. I've never heard of them. I had to look it up. <laughs> but just cooking with more garlic or onion is a good option as well. Yeah, and on a side note, cooking with garlic or herbs in general are a good way to reduce the amount of salt that you use mm-hmm. when you cook. So, like, if you toss some garlic in a pan and, like, get it brown and then add whatever else you're cooking in and then some onion, you won't even have to season it as much. I don't um, ever follow the recommended amount of garlic to put in a recipe. I always take that as, like, the baseline and then basically double it because yeah. in Italian cooking, we use a lot Everything of garlic. Everything is garlic. So, one other thing I wanted to mention about prebiotics and fiber is the human milk oligosaccharides, or HMOs. So these are basically prebiotics for babies. So human breast milk doesn't contain any fiber in the actual breast milk. So the body is an amazing thing and it makes these HMOs and it is actually long sugar molecules that are found in the breast milk that are don't have any nutritional value for the baby. Their only value is to feed the baby's gut flora. So that is another reason why... Um, breastfeeding is so important for babies because these actual HMOs are in the milk and that helps to also, um, it helps to feed their gut flora and then also helps to block any pathogens. And I know that a lot of formula companies are trying to replicate these, these oligosaccharides and put them into formula. I don't think that they've been very successful in that yet. So this is one of the values of having um, a, another value of having breastfeeding for your baby. All right. So I think probably the most common thing that we think of fiber for is for constipation. Mm-hmm. So fiber is really good at keeping you regular, which is important for a lot of things other than being regular. We'll yes. talk about those a little bit later. But they have supplements for constipation like Metamucil or Benafiber. And you just mix it with water and drink it once a day. Um, but also, in my opinion, the better way is to eat more like whole foods. So fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Um, switch your bread from white bread to wheat bread. It tastes so much better and it's that much better for you. Eat raw vegetables, eat fruits with the skin on, like with apples. Eat the whole apple instead of peeling it and slicing it. And when you start to eat more fiber in your diet, you're going to want to start drinking more water too so that it can help form solid um, bowel movements. Yes. So with, when 
when you're increasing your fiber, you want to also increase your water. And that will help too to decrease some of the bloating and gas associated mm -hmm. when you first start to increase your the fiber in your diet. Yeah, and when you do start increasing it, go slow. Yes. Add like a little bit here and there. Don't go from no fiber to 50 grams because you're going to have a, a yes. super gassy Yes, you'll be very weeks. Yes, I agree. All right, so then what you mentioned earlier, having normal and regular bowel movements is also beneficial to prevent colon cancer. Mm -hmm. So with like more fiber, you have more regular movements, so you don't have that toxic buildup that you can experience if you do have constipation. Right. All right, so I think that's pretty much our overview of what fiber is. And one other thing I do want to add in is when you're looking at a nutrition label and you're trying to figure out how much fiber is in a food. As I said earlier, it is a carbohydrate. But So when you're looking at the nutrition label, say carbohydrates, and then indented underneath that, it's going to give you your fiber. And usually it will be broken down by soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. So if you are counting carbs for any reason, maybe if you're keto or if you have diabetes and you have to count your carbs, you can usually subtract out the fiber from the total carbs because as we mentioned, those carbohydrates or are not absorbed into your bloodstream in the same way as a refined carbohydrate. So it'll actually decrease the amount of carbohydrates that you're eating on a daily basis, which if you're doing keto is really important because you still want to make sure that you're getting that fiber to have those healthy bowel movements and to reduce your risk of constipation. Um, so that would be considered to be your net carb. So if you're counting your net carbs, that's when you take your total carbs and subtract out the fiber. All right, so now I want to move on and talk a little bit about the nerdy part of this whole thing that I think is super interesting, and it is the relation of fiber and fiber intake to the colon and how it helps to feed the microbiota in the colon. So as Marcus said, when you're eating those long chain fibers, those really chewy, hard to break down resistant fibers, they make it all the way to your colon and they feed your microbiota. And so what happens is they then ferment in the colon um, because they break down there, but it's by a process of fermentation. And then this produces the short chain fatty acid called butyrate. So butyrate is super cool and it is protective against colon cancer, which we said earlier, having more fiber helps to protect against colon cancer, but it also helps to sensitize your body um, to promote the protective mechanisms that your body has against cancer. So basically, if you have a cell in your colon that is uh, that might be a cancer cell, um, your body has a process which is apoptosis or programmed cell death to kill that cell so that it doesn't multiply and then cause a polyp or a tumor. And so when you have more butyrate in the colon, um, it helps to actually improve the the, how well your body can do apoptosis and it helps to kill off those cells at a more regular rate and a more efficient rate. So that's one of the really cool things about butyrate. Yeah, you said it all. Um, <laughs> butyrate also has some anti-inflammatory effects and it may downregulate interleukin-8, which is um, an inflammatory marker that's usually present in uh, IBD, such as ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And it helps maintain the intestinal epithelial barrier, which is part of your gut microbiome. So if you've ever heard of leaky gut, the symptoms of leaky gut would be like bloating or having just an upset stomach, sour stomach. It basically, the thought is that your 
food and the bacteria and your and the proteins that are supposed to maintain in your stomach are not able to stay in the stomach and they're leaking out into the lining of your GI tract mm-hmm. and that causes inflammation and pain and it's very common um, especially in the western diet so glyphosate or roundup um, in increases the intestinal permeability and increases your risk for leaky gut but if you're having a diet that is high in fiber and high in the production of butyrate butyrate actually can help to reinstate the integrity of the gut lining and help to reverse kind of some of those symptoms of leaky gut the one of the things that it helps or one of the um, things you might hear about is called the tight junction so basically you have a layer of cells around your GI tract that helps to keep everything in your GI tract and they're supposed to be very tightly aligned next to each other so that next, nothing can get through them. But with the unhealthy um, Western diet and uh, chronic exposure to toxins, especially glyphosate, um, it causes those junctions to be relaxed a little bit. And so the role of butyrate actually is to retighten them. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a little bit more of the mechanism about how that works. A good way to get butyrate production in your body is to consume resistant starches, which are similar to soluble fibers. And it's present in a lot of raw foods like raw potatoes, green bananas, raw oats, even foods that have been cooked but then cooled like rice or pasta or potatoes. They'll have a higher level of resistant starch than it would if it was cooked and then ate hot. And that happens by a mechanism called starch retrogradation. Cool. Yeah, but there's been studies that have shown like around 30 grams of resistant starch per day were useful in increasing butyrate concentration and expressing these benefits. And raw potato starch is one of the most concentrated amounts or has one of the most concentrated amounts of resistant starches at around 8 grams per tablespoon. So if you consumed four tablespoons in one day, that would come out to 32 grams of resistant starch, which is similar to what was used in these studies. And you can use potato starch like in a lot of ways. I've seen people put it in, like sprinkle a tablespoon over a smoothie or um, use it as a thickener in sauces or anything like that. Um, And also green bananas have around five per green banana. They don't. I don't think green bananas taste as good. They're not as sweet. Yeah, but that's because the resistant starches turn to sugar as they start to ripen. And raw oats have twice as much resistant starch when compared to cooked oats. I don't know if you've ever talked about overnight oats up here. Overnight oats are like the bee's knees. (laughs) So you just take old-fashioned oats or quick-cooked oats, whatever you like, and add double the amount of like a nut milk or whatever you like and you can put in blueberries strawberries peanut butter anything you like but they the oats would still be considered uncooked but they absorb all the water and they're super soft and um it's just really good but that's uh another way to get more resistant starch in your diet and if you're trying to eat breakfast prepare it the night before yeah and then and it's then on the, the go next day on the go One of the other things that I was reading about, too, with butyrate and having diets that are higher in butyrate um, is to help with 
decreasing the risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. So I know we've talked about NAFLD before in some previous episodes, but it's basically when you have a large fat buildup in your hepatocytes or the cells in your liver. Um, So if you have a diet that is higher in fiber, which leads to more creation of butyrate, then you end up with a decrease in the intramyocellular lipid droplets. So you have a decrease in the amount of fat that's in your liver. And then that also helps to improve some of the markers associated with NAFLD that we look at, like your liver function tests. And um, if you're getting any scans to look at how much fat is actually around the liver. So that is another benefit as well. And NAFLD um, is, is highly associated with obesity and also increases insulin resistance. So really helping to respond to that and help to, helping to decrease those those markers will help to decrease risk of diabetes if you have or if you are treating someone that has NAFLD but does not yet have diabetes. And that's a great actually transition into one of our other topics or one of our other benefits of having a high fiber diet and that is it improves insulin resistance. So I think that this is so important to mention because a lot of times people with diabetes are scared to eat carbohydrates because they think it's going to raise up their blood sugar, which in general, carbohydrates do do that. But if you're eating whole foods that are higher in fiber, it's going to have a different impact on your insulin than it would if you were eating a refined carbohydrate. So basically eating a food that is higher in fiber will help to delay your gastric emptying, which means the food will stay in your stomach longer. Um, And that is beneficial also because it helps to keep you feeling full for a longer amount of time. Um, And then it increases the amount of time that it takes the food to get through your small intestine, which then decreases how quickly your blood glucose will raise up after eating that food. So one of the big problems in diabetes is that when you're eating a high carb load, your blood glucose spikes and your body's insulin can't respond to that spike appropriately um, or in the same way as if you didn't have diabetes. And so then that is what causes hyperglycemia or high blood sugar. But if you are eating a more fiber-rich carbohydrate, it doesn't have that same effect. And then also for those that don't have diabetes, um, if you eat a high-carb load, it causes more insulin to be produced by the pancreas, which is hyperinsulinemia. Um, And that promotes weight gain and also an overproduction of insulin can eventually lead to insulin resistance. So this is just one of the additional benefits of um, for insulin resistance and insulin resistance is a huge problem. So it's one of the major factors that contributes to the development of type 2 diabetes. Um, Another way that fiber is useful is for obesity. And it's kind of by the same mechanism that insulin resistance is affected. Just increasing your fiber can make you feel more full for longer with less like volume of food, especially when you're including more fruits and vegetables. If you eat more volume and less calories, and that puts you in a calorie deficit, which will lead to weight loss. And one of the studies that I was looking at too for obesity, the only intervention that they did was basically tell people to try to get 30 grams of fiber per day. And after a year, those patients had around two kilograms of weight loss. So they didn't change anything really about their lifestyle, except just trying to increase the amount of fiber in their diet. And that, a two kilogram weight loss is about five pounds. 
So it may not seem like a lot, but to just make those simple switches actually does have a pretty good impact on weight. So I think that's pretty cool as well. With all the fiber-rich foods that we've talked about earlier, they are mainly like fruits and vegetables. So if you do increase the fiber in your diet through some of these foods that we've talked about, they also carry a lot of vitamins and minerals and they'll just promote like a an overall better wellness. More antioxidants as well. Yeah. All right. So the last benefit, I think, of eating more fiber, and I think this one is a little bit more or less, uh, less well-known, um, but one of the functions of soluble fiber is to bind estrogen in the colon. So basically your body naturally produces estrogen. It's a female hormone. And when you have circulating estrogen, it is bound in the colon and then it's eliminated in the feces. So this is what results in a decrease in circulating estrogen. If you have a diet that's chronically lower in fiber, that leads to less binding of estrogen in the colon and higher levels of circulating estrogen, which leads to an increased risk for breast cancer. So I looked at two studies that actually compared the amount of fiber that patients were eating and to see their breast cancer risk. And so the biggest study that I looked at was a meta-analysis. So it was 16 studies that were all put together. It almost had a million participants. And what they did was they, similar to a lot of other studies that we've talked about, but they divided the patients up by how much fiber they were eating into quartiles. So the lowest quartile was eating around 8 grams per day, and then the highest was around 21 grams per day. And they compared the rate of breast cancer being diagnosed across the groups And they found that there was, when you're comparing the highest intake of fiber per day to the lowest, there was a statistically significant decrease in the diagnosing of breast cancer in that group. That just shows, or that just further reiterates the importance of eating a high fiber diet to help to decrease that risk. As Marcus said earlier, you know, if you're eating a higher fiber diet, the authors kind of said patients that are eating a diet that's higher in fiber are generally thought to have a healthier lifestyle in general. So they're going to be eating more fruits and vegetables, probably um, less likely that they're going to be um, smoking or having a sedentary lifestyle. And so those factors also contribute. But when they controlled for those and they looked just at, tried to look just at the fiber, they still saw this reduction. Um, So one of the good things about this is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get all the way up to the 30 grams, but just increasing as much as you can to that 21 grams per day helped to um, get people to reduce their risk. And then the second study I looked at was actually the, um, so the the study that had the patients that had the 8.6 or in the lower category were generally patients of Asian descent. So One of the other things I learned in studying for this is that in general, patients of Asian descent have a lower fiber intake in their diet than patients that are eating um, it or compared to Americans or European patients. And so this one study was a retrospective cohort that was done in Japan to look just at women in Japan to see their risk. And actually, one of the things that I thought was really interesting goes back to our um, soy. Yeah, so when they looked at the, divided it in the quartiles, the lowest quartile, again, was 8.6. But those that were in the 8.6, also their intake of isoflavones was zero. So I think that that also goes back to the 
you know, healthier lifestyle mm-hmm. when you're in the higher quartile. And so we know from our last episode too that isoflavones also are protective against breast cancer. Um, and so what they found was when they did when they compared in this study was that there was actually not a statistically significant difference between the first quartile and the second, but they did see a trend towards less breast cancer being diagnosed in the highest group. Um, And the highest group only had around 19 grams of fiber per day. So maybe they just really weren't even getting to that 25, 30 that they needed to be protective, but it was a trend um, towards significantly reducing the amount of um, breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah, and to have more definitive answers about something like this, we would need a study that had a little bit more concrete grouping. Yes. So if you had uh, like a lower quartile that was still the same, but then the upper quartile was closer to 30, then you might have a little bit more evidence to support the dietary fiber and reduced risk. Yeah, that actually they said that in the meta-analysis. The studies that had the biggest improvements were the ones that had them in the highest quartile had the most intake of fiber. So, all right, so I think my takeaway from this is to really just try to increase the amount of whole foods they are eating, which is pretty standard of a recommendation from me. Um, But one thing that I can maybe challenge you to do um, is to try to vary the plants that you're eating in your diet. So we want a healthy microbiome. We want us to have a variety of different microbes in our guts. And the best way to do that is to eat a variety of whole plant foods. So my challenge, I guess, that I leave you with today is to try to eat 30 different plant foods this month. So whatever month you're listening to this in, you try to increase the variety of different plant foods that you're eating and try to get 30. And remember too, that if you eat a Roma tomato and a cherry tomato and a uh, heirloom tomato. There's one that starts those, with a C that's really good. <laughs> those, okay, or the t- tomato that starts with a C. Um, those count as three different ones. And also don't forget that herbs and spices are also plants. So if you add turmeric or cilantro or parsley, those count too. Um, so I did this challenge in July and I did really well. But I'm interested to do it again in the winter month when the plant selection is a lot different. Yeah. So that's yeah. my that's my takeaway. Do you have a takeaway? Yeah, my takeaway is whenever you grocery shop, it's going to take you a little longer. Um, and you don't have to do it for everything you pick up. But flip the box or bag or whatever over and look at the fiber that it has. And just kind of familiarize yourself with a nutrition label and know what the different numbers and the different categories mean and how to take that home with you. And another thing to tack on to that is if you are reading your nutrition label, you can also read the ingredients on mm-hmm. on there. Um, and if you're trying to increase the amount of fiber in your diet, if you're looking for something that says, or if you see flour, so you'll see refined flour enriched. or enriched, that's going to be a white flour. So you want to have a, the most whole grain that you can. And if you're looking at the front of your packaging, it will have a little yellow whole grain with a wheat thing on there. Um, and that's to show you that there's whole grains in there. And then that will give you a higher higher fiber. Yeah. And even if a package says um, like wheat bread or something like that, if you flip it over, 
and wheat's not like whole wheat is not the first mm-hmm. ingredient, then you should probably Choose look for something option. else. Yeah, I agree. And then with this is just like specific for bread. Um, when you choose a wheat bread, try to find one that doesn't have a ton of sugar because a lot of them will have like five grams of sugar per slice, and that's yeah, a they lot. add yeah, they'll add sugar. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you enjoyed this informative episode on fiber, and I hope that you are going to eat a fiber-filled dinner tonight with lots of different plants. Um, please, as always, subscribe to our podcast if you love it. Share it with your friends. And then one other thing that I want to share today is that I did make us an Instagram. So it's the same handle as our Twitter, which is health form pod so health f-o-r-m p-o-d so follow us on there it's going to be a good adjunct to our facebook page which hopefully you're already following at health formation and if you have any questions for me or marcus or anything you want to see on future episodes shoot us an email at healthformation.podcast at gmail.com thanks, yeah guys. thanks guys have a happy and healthy day bye, bye.